Queer Money Bingo is coming live to Denver, Colorado on Thursday, June 13th at the downtown Capital One Cafe. To sign up for your door prizes, pride sunglasses, free coffee, more swag, fun, and games, go to queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour. Happy Pride. You know, we know that most of you have already wrapped up your Pride events for the month, especially since this is the second to the last day of the month. But we're still going strong here at the Queer Money Podcast. And that's because we want a community of folks that are proud, especially with their finances, all year long. Now, it's often difficult to be proud of our financial situation when we don't feel like it's in a good place. For many of us in the queer community, that is often tied to something called legacy financial exclusion. What is legacy financial exclusion? What are some examples of it? How does it hurt us? And what are some solutions? Well, you're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, episode 268, and we've got the answers to those questions. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you. If you've got money questions, post them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer it in an upcoming episode, which is exactly where this week's show topic sprouted from. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Queer Money is being brought to you in part by the five building blocks of a happy gay life. Join the growing community of happy, healthy, and wealthy gay men who love their lives inside and out. Get your free copy of the five building blocks of a happy gay life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. Uh, You probably have noticed over the last month or so, there's been a lot of information presented to the LGBT community, whether that's quote-unquote, rainbow capitalism, or it's data that's being shared by news outlets and sources, or it's us sharing information amongst each other about what's going on in the queer community. There's a lot of information out there, and sometimes this information can get very heavy, can get kind of almost depressing when we see some of this information, and especially when we start talking about the financial situations of folks in the LGBT community. And one of the things that John and I have often fielded questions about is why. Why is it so different? Why is it so difficult? Why is it that you save less for retirement? Why is it that you make less money? Why is it that you have more student loan debt? Why is it that you have more credit card debt? Why is it that your community is struggling financially? And we have spent a lot of time talking about this. But more recently, John and I have been talking about this idea of something called legacy financial exclusion. We're going to talk a little bit about this more. But one of the reasons we feel like this is an important topic to have on the show is it starts to paint a more broad picture as to why you may be seeing these exact data points coming out about folks in the LGBT community and our financial situations, and also maybe some of the kind of secondary and tertiary effects of these kinds of financial situations. And so we wanted to talk about this idea of legacy financial exclusion. 
So you may be asking yourself, as I asked at the outset, what is legacy financial exclusion? I'm going to share a definition here, but we're going to go on to talk about some examples of this. So this is how we define legacy financial exclusion. It is the long-lasting or persistent and damaging act of leaving someone out of financial benefits and education, some of which is by example. So a simpler way to put this is basically just leaving someone out when the money or the money education is being handed out. And as you're going to see, we're going to clarify what this is through examples and how this is so damaging, especially to folks in the LGBT community. But what we've done is we've decided to break this down, this legacy, these examples of legacy financial exclusion into kind of three main pieces. Examples of when it happens earlier on in life, examples when it happens towards the middle of our lives, and example when it happens towards the end of our lives. And again, remember, this is kind of focused on when money is being handed out, when financial education is being handed out. So we're going to to a certain degree, I think, pick on the folks that typically hand this out to individuals. And that's more often than not coming from our families. So the first example of this is, again, an early on in life. And I think that this one specifically is directly tied to, and I think all of the early on in life ones are tied directly to not being in a an affirming or accepting household. So the first time that a lot of queer kids see or feel financial exclusion is when they feel compelled or forced to start living a double life. Now, some people may say, well, that's a choice, right? So let's talk about this, uh, this example of queer kids living a double life. Young queer kids may feel like they have to live a double life when it comes to spending time with their friends or at school where they really can allow themselves to be their true selves. And what that may mean is that they're going out of their way to find ways to use money that they have access to whether that's money that they get from their parents and not telling them how they're using it, or actually money that they're getting from a job that they have, and they're using this money in ways that maybe their family doesn't know about, such as buying clothes or participating in activities, and they're doing this with their own money. And you say, well, that's not a bad thing, right? They're learning how to be responsible for their money. Well, the juxtaposition of this is they may have siblings. If they're in a non-affirming, non-accepting household, they may have siblings that may receive financial support for their confirming lifestyles or activities, which basically is allowing these young queer kids to have to, or forcing these young queer kids to have to spend money on a quote-unquote somewhat affirming lifestyle and a somewhat non-conforming lifestyle to their parents. So they have to spend money that they have on these on double these two different kinds of activities, whereas their non-queer siblings may not have to do it. And that allows their non-queer siblings to then do stuff like bank that money 
or maybe put that money towards other things that allow them to grow and mature in ways that the queer youth are not. Yeah, that makes uh, makes a lot of sense. I imagine that a lot of kids are leaving these these double lives. Um, I think for a lot of LGBTQ people our age, we pretty much, for most of us, probably just didn't live those double lives. Now there's this competition of, or not competition, but there's this on one side society and media and, and and some TV and movie shows are saying, be your true self, come out and we accept and we, and we love you. But then they're hearing this contradictory message in the home. And so there's kind of like this pull and tug of who, who am I allowed to be? Who should I be? And I can see a lot of kids uh, struggling that way. I think a real good example of this may be kids who are confident enough and strong enough to go out of their way to go to an LGBT center. Their parents may not know about it, but you may find that these kids are traveling either through public transportation or having to spend money on gas and drive their own cars or pitch in for gas in another car to go with their friends to an LGBT center, whereas their siblings may not have to do something like that, right? So there's a micro example of how that may be happening. Exactly. And I can see that being a precursor to uh, the second idea here. And that is having to leave the home because uh, they're in an unsafe environment or because they're kicked out of the home. Uh, So essentially they become homeless. And uh, we've quoted this study several times on the Queer Money podcast. And I think it was just reconfirmed not that long ago, but the Williams Institute has reported for years that 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBTQ. So if you're a homeless youth, especially if you've been kicked out of your home and you've been kicked out because you're LGBTQ, there's a really good chance you're getting no financial support from mom and dad, let alone financial education. That's just simply not happening. And it's also likely the case that when you do get your hands on some money, you're not flushed with it enough to really have the opportunity to learn about it, right? You're probably using that money to meet your, your lower needs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you don't really have the opportunity to say, well, how could I use this more wisely? How could I uh, invest this? That's just not an option discussion that you're probably having on the streets. And that's on top of the fact that you're also not in the home. So you're not watching your parents interact with each other about money. You're not watching your parents interact with money and how they use money. So you're not picking up those micro messages uh, about finances. So it's sort of a compounding challenge that homeless LGBTQ specifically have. Yeah. I think that uh, one of the other things here is that if you have been kind of either kicked out of the house or you've left on your own through emancipation, more often than not, that means that you're starting off at this economic disadvantage. And the point here is that for a lot of youth, whether you're queer or not, but if you're kicked out of the house or you're living outside the house and not getting financial support from your family, you're looking for and probably taking really low skill, low paying jobs, right? And that starts you off with this mindset of this is what your earning power and your earning potential is. You may become used to a standard of low income and a lifestyle of low income and find it really hard to break out of that, especially if you're not getting support to move beyond and get better skills and get a better job. And this isn't even touching on the psychological effects that this has on someone and the unconscious 
beliefs they're adopting as they go through this challenge and how they carry those unconscious beliefs about their self-worth and what they're what they're capable of doing and earning throughout their adulthood when they get into adulthood. That's not even touching on that. This is actually more practical than I guess esoteric. But then so and this is a huge problem in our community and specifically for LGBTQ youth. And that's why we we like to give and like to support companies that give to LGBTQ homeless youth, such as Capital One supports Ali Fournay. Right. They, they, a lot of times these LGBT youth shelters or homeless youth organizations are ones that are providing the economic support or the place for people to live that their parents aren't providing. And you know, when you think about it, if these individuals are starting their life off when they're 16, 17, 18, this is what their life is starting off like, you can start to see how easy it is to get stuck in the wage gap, the gender identity and sexual orientation wage gap, because we're not pushing beyond and getting better skilled jobs. So we find ourselves trapped in this. And I think that's really what, important because it really ties into point number three, that a lot of queer youth are not getting financial support for college. And we know that this that there's proof of this from data that keeps coming out about how, this one came from Student Loan Hero, how LGBT graduates are graduating with a massive amount more than their peers, non-LGBT peers with student loan debt. When, I think it was 2018 where Student Loan Hero said that LGBTQ graduates were graduating with $16,000 more in student loan debt than their peers. And that at that point in time, I think that was about 15, 16% more. That just really sets you up for much more financial insecurity in your life when you have that much more student loan debt to try to pay off. And one of the things that we see happening and have surmised that is happening is that a lot of parents may be foregoing helping their queer kids in favor of helping their other children when it comes to going to college and may find it easier to not support their queer kids, especially if those queer kids have been shunned or expelled from the house. Yeah, and you, now you can see how some parents are holding over, holding their wallets over their kids' heads, saying, you know, I'm going to use this against you if you don't conform to the lifestyle that I expect you to conform to. And we have heard stories of some kids who parents have said, if you continue to live this lifestyle, I won't pay for your college education. So those kids at 17, 18, 19 years old are kind of going back in the closet, so to speak, or be feeling like they need to live a sort of double lifestyle. Right. And then when they do decide to go to college, they may be using student loans as a way to get out of the house, right? That's their way of escaping. And that is then preventing them from really setting themselves up for financial success as easy as it may be easier than or less easy than some of their peers. Exactly. Now we're heading into the middle life stages of financial exclusion. And the first example there of financial exclusion is um, being left out of mom and dad covering for helping to cover for uh, daily financial expenses. Recently, CNBC reported that 53% of millennials have their parents paying for some part of their daily life, uh, such as their cell phone bill, cable bill, or I guess, I, I mean, David and I have 
are surprised about how many grown adults are on their parents' family phone plan. <laughs> I, I, get, I don't know that we don't understand the structure of phone plans today, um, but it seems like that's, that's often the case. Or the mom and dad are helping to pay for uh, help finance the car or covering the, the car insurance that's required to, to have on a car. So mom and dad are helping to pay for some aspect of 53% of millennials' lives. And LGBTQ kids aren't getting that same benefit. It's not happening for them. They're sort of being left out of this financial support. So it might only be, you know, two hundred dollars a month that's helping this one, helping the straight child pay for their auto insurance, but the LGBTQ child's not getting that, and that compounds month after month, year after year, and that's money that the student either can't put towards investing or saving for school or putting towards some sort of long-term financial benefit. That's money that they've got to come up with all on their own if they're even able to come up with it. So very often then, especially as soon as kids reach the age of 18 and they're not getting financial support from their parents, they go on the credit card. Right. And then they're, they're financing much of their life, if not their entire life, on credit cards, which that just buries people into a hole. Right. To be clear, I, I want to point out that these are examples of what is happening to folks in the queer community. Not every single person, but it is happening to a significant number. And that's why you see sometimes these 5, 10, 15 point spread in the data, right? So you may see something that says this is an ex for non-LGBT folks, it's at 20%, but for LGBT folks, it's at 30%. That spread is being compounded or is being caused by examples of these kinds of things. And I also want to draw on one of the things you just mentioned, John, is this whole idea of the compounding effect, right? So if your parents are not helping you, but are helping a sibling with some with $200 a month at an early point in your life. And that allows you to put money into a savings account to invest, to put it into a retirement account. The compounding effect of how that will affect your financial life in the future just grows exponentially over time. All right. So the fifth point here is helping with getting a first apartment or a down payment on a home. And we know this happens a lot, right? A lot of parents do provide some funding for or help their kids get into their first home, whether that's their first apartment after high school or after college, whether that's getting into their first home by providing them with some sort of down payment or help with a down payment. We know lots of parents that are doing this kinds of thing, and they may not be helping their queer kids, or their queer kids may not be around, and they're happy because of that, but those queer kids are not getting that. And it's not always just the cash right? When we talk about the compounding effects or the further effects, you know, if you're a queer kid and you're distanced from your immediate family or your family, you may not be getting simple things like housewarming gifts. I mean, think about getting a set of towels or sheets, getting appliances or utensils for a kitchen. It may be your responsibility then to pay for all of those things and it's not that it's a bad thing to have that as a responsibility to pay for, but if the person who lives across the hall is a straight person and they're getting 
several hundred dollars or thousands of dollars in financial support towards getting into that apartment, you can start to see why there might be a financial difference between the two. And many parents do this out of love and they want to support their children. And you can see why it would be easy for them then if they don't have a loving, confirming or affirming relationship with their queer children, that it would be very easy for them to say, we're not going to do this. Number six here, and the last point in the sort of the midlife phase is that of paying for your wedding. Many same-sex couples end up paying for 100% of their wedding and often in part because of this reason, uh, get married later in life. And this is the case for, for you and me. We got married only three years ago. I was 44. You were 47. We paid 100% of the wedding for ourselves. That came out of our pocket. That's now money that's not going to go towards any sort of savings or investments or even, in, even to real estate. On top of that, we got no wedding. We will for our wedding, we we actually asked for no wedding gifts, but in part we asked for no wedding gifts because at this point we pretty much had everything that we needed. It seemed kind of awkward to ask for another garlic peeler. We already had one, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we already. But because we 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 were sort of left out of that type of support, we didn't have. We couldn't get married at a younger age. Even if we could have gotten married, we probably would have had the support and would have had to get buy that garlic peeler ourselves anyway. And all those things sort of add up. And to sort of speak to this more broadly. As an example, a 35-year-old same-sex couple spends about $25,000 on their own wedding instead of investing that for retirement and therefore forego upwards of $375,000 to $450,000 in potential retirement assets if they retire at the age of 70 and in the interim get a modest return of 7 to 8%. So that $25,000 wedding that the same-sex couple has to pay for themselves may not necessarily seem like a lot of money, at least for the type of event it is, right? It's a once-in-a-lifetime event. You want to have it grand and beautiful. So $25,000 seems like a reasonable investment. But now when you when you think about what the, the consequences of that are and how that the missed uh, financial opportunity uh, of having that $25,000 turn into upwards of $450,000, that just completely changes changes the, the your your perspective. Now, if mom and dad are paying for 100% of the wedding, or at least, and I know this is the case more often than not now because weddings have gotten so expensive, but if mom and dad are helping to pay for some of that, that helps give you that much greater earning potential down the road for your retirement than you otherwise would if you're paying for that wedding 100% yourself. Right. And, and it may not just be retirement, right? So you get married, your parents pay for a portion of all or all of the wedding, which then allows you to have money for a down payment on a house. So that goes into real estate, which is technically, I guess, an investment in this case. You have the potential for that down payment money to grow, whereas a same-sex couple may not be doing that. They may not have that money for a down payment. So that means they enter the housing market much later. Prices have gone up, and so they're losing out on that growth potential. But there's also a lot of other aspects in this when it comes to spending on a wedding. It may mean that a young straight couple can have kids earlier. If a same-sex couple doesn't want or they want to have kids, they may not have the money to go through the process of adopting or having children of their own simply because they had to pay for their wedding. And I think it's a it, this is a prime example or reason why you see so many same-sex weddings of individuals who are slightly older. 
individuals who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s because they are paying for their own weddings. You don't see a lot of same-sex weddings of individuals who are in their 20s or even early 30s because more often than not, they're not getting that financial support either from one or both sides of the family. Yeah, we just did a partnership with CNBC and it was about talking about money before and after getting married and how to fund your wedding. And I thought it was surprising that they found a whole bunch of images to use that were of younger same-sex couples getting married. Um, Because it it was kind of striking to me. You don't typically see that, at least not in, you know, in real life, but that could be more because we're old. (laughs) (laughs) We're just not getting married. And to be clear, we probably would have, if our, even if our parents would have supported us getting married, we probably wouldn't have asked them to pay for us any part of our wedding. But I do know that knowing the type of people that our parents are, they probably would have said, I'm going to demand that you take some money. <laughs> right. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So then let's move into the later stage of life. And we only have one example here. And I'm I'm saying we have seven examples here, but I think that there are quite a few other times when there is this legacy financial exclusion. And we will talk about these other examples more in the podcast later on down the line. But this one, I think, is one that a lot of folks don't realize the massive impact that this has. And number seven here is that they're not inheriting family assets, such as homes, investments, and heirlooms. According to the United Income Investment Firm, the average inheritance was $295,000 in 2016. So imagine what it feels like to be standing there with a sibling who's getting $295,000 and you're getting nothing, right? And even if it's a much smaller amount, imagine what that does to the individual receiving it. Those amounts of money can help you pay off debt, which has a compounding impact. It can help you pay off a home early, which has a compounding impact. It can help you send your kids to college, which has a compounding impact on their financial future, and that has a compounding impact on their kids' financial future. You see how this can ripple further and further out. And then lastly, this can be something that can really just suck up the retirement opportunity for a lot of folks. If you're in your 50s or 60s and your parents pass away and you receive a large amount of money, that may set you up for a secure retirement. And there are a lot of folks, it's amazing how many folks, both in and outside of the LGBT community, who are hoping for and planning on getting some sort of inheritance to help them get through retirement. And I'm just going to share a personal example here with you. Many of you know that I was raised a Jehovah's Witness and my parents are uh, are non-affirming. I have do not have a relationship with them. My parents own a home in Denver, Colorado that is uh, worth somewhere in the range of $750,000 to a million dollars. My father did a pretty good job while he, while he was working. We lived a fairly modest life and he did a pretty good job of setting aside money. At one point in time, I know he was contributing $1,000 a month to his retirement. So I know my father has uh, a sizable retirement account. I will not see any of that. My sister, my sole sibling will receive all of that. So it is likely that John and I will miss out on hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in retirement and family assets because my parents and I do not have a relationship. And so when you think about the plethora of 
queer folks who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s who have are going through this or have already gone through this, watching their siblings or knowing that their siblings are receiving inheritance money, this has a really depressing effect later on in your life. And I think this is kind of the capstone of the way that this has a compounding effect because it's your family's income or your family's assets that have compounded and you don't receive any of it. So let's talk about some solutions. What are some things let's that you- turn this around. Right. I know this is, <laughs> it, we, we did, it, it was kind of depressing. It's very difficult to talk about these kinds of things with a upbeat kind of fun attitude, right? Because we know that these things happen. The reality is we can't for, force our families to go back and make reparations for what did or didn't happen to us, what they did or did not give to us or still don't want to give to us. And that's why John and I are picking <laughs> picking the song by Aretha Franklin and Annie Lennox as a mantra for us and our community when it comes to legacy financial exclusion. And that song is sisters are doing it for themselves. The reality is, is we got to say to those family members who aren't giving us Jack, Fuck you. <laughs> this is, we got to do it for ourselves. We have to get over it and we have to learn it ourselves, right? So what, a, what are some ways that we can do this? What right? a great way to turn the tone of a depressing podcast around, <laughs> but then to invoke Aretha and Annie. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so we have several recommendations on how to overcome this uh, legacy financial exclusion. The first one we're going to tackle here is, is college. We've got to rethink college a little bit, especially with the way the economy is going, with especially, especially, especially with as expensive as college is getting. We wouldn't necessarily tell people to not go to college, but it's now more important than ever to really rethink what your return on that investment is going to be. Um, we know so many folks who are mired in student loan debt that even though they're doctors, even though they're a professional of some sort, they are struggling to make ends meet and to pay off those student loans. And the pandemic obviously exacerbated those problems. So you really got to think if it's the wisest thing to do. With that, maybe consider alternatives to college. Uh, there is a dearth of skilled labor in America right now. And those skilled laborers, when they're skilled, can make a lot of money. They can start off making $40,000, $50,000 a year and earn upwards of, of six figures a year. And that's in some case, kids are going out of school, hopping on the phones, being some uh, phone jockey at, at, a, at a, a bigger company, and they're only getting paid thirty, forty, or $50,000 a year too. They've got to work their way up. So it's really not setting a lot of as many people back as it used to. So from plumbing to blowing glass to web development to game design, there are a myriad of options to further your education that have high earning careers and that don't necessarily require a six-figure college education. You can go to trade school, go to tech school. Um, there's a lot of, lot of opportunities to consider. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that that's going to guarantee a six-figure salary, but there's the opportunity there. And we know we know several folks who are in those types of careers who are doing that. Right. And the impact that it can have, right? Graduating from college and having to pay five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month towards student loans versus graduating from a trade school with little to no debt and being able to put the money that you're making into savings or retirement, you may be making a lot less money, but your difference there is that student loan payment that really could compound if you're investing it and setting it aside for your future, right? 
our second alternative here when it comes to college is to consider creative financing, right? So there's a lot of different ways out there to pay for school. Uh, and it may mean that you don't go to school right away. I was a non-traditional student. I didn't, uh, although I did do some college uh, right away after high school, I didn't get my degree or start the kind of real path to getting my degree until I was in my later 20s. And I'm thankful that I did that in part because I was able to get my employer to pay for most of my college education. And so if you're working and gaining experience to save money for college, also consider working for an employer that hands out tuition reimbursement money. This is a great way to get help paying for college. Another recommendation here is for LGBTQ folks specifically, there are all sorts of LGBTQ specific college scholarships and grants, um, and that can help offset or even subsidize all of your college education if you're aggressive enough and you do put in the work to earn those. A good place to start this kind of a search is at the Human Rights Campaign or HRC's LGBTQ Student Scholarship Database. They've got a list of the other day when I was on there, there was just pages scrolling down forever and ever and ever. So you've got a lot of options there. Um, so take a look at that. The third thing here under college is all is not lost. If you have already finished or you're partway through school and you don't have an alternative way of paying for school and you've been taking on student loans, keep in mind the Employer Participation and Repayment Act. Now, we mentioned, we're going to mention in this week's episode, we mentioned in last week's episode, this came from episode 262. We're going to keep pounding this into your head. There are employers out there that are using money that they would normally use for tuition reimbursement. They're using that to help you pay down your student loan debt. And this is an example that if you are not getting up off your butt to find out if your employer is doing this, you're missing out on money and you have no room to cry when you find out in 2026 that this has ended and you've missed out on thousands of dollars. So please, on a regular basis, ask your employer, are they participating in the Employer Participation and Repayment Act? If they say no, ask why, right? Go back and listen to, to episode 262. Go to our website to get the Swipe copy where you can email that you, you can use to email your employer or your HR department to ask them if they're participating. I'll reiterate again that there are tons and tons of jobs available right now and nobody wants them. And I just read another article again in the Wall Street Journal talking about how creative employers are trying to get with attracting top talent. So um, you can look for great salary, you can look for a great position, but you know, talking with a prospective employer about whether or not they offer the EPRA uh, might behoove you. Exactly. All right, let's move on to the second solution that we have. This is a broader one that we think is important for the whole community. The simple fact is that our community doesn't talk much about money, which means there isn't an exchange of ideas of what's working and what's not working, of mistakes, don't do this, right? We're not getting that. There's a lack of education and we're missing out. So the first thing is we want to encourage you to talk about money with your peers in the LGBT community. We need to stop pretending that money is a taboo topic. Money is not a topic that just rich people talk about. Money is a topic that people who want to do better with their money talk about. Do you want to do better with your money? Of course you do. 
That's why you're listening to the podcast, right? So talk to your peers about that. They will help you. You will help them. It keeps us from this kind of uneducated, helpless situation that oftentimes folks in our community find themselves in. The other thing is, is learn from those who are doing better, right? Ask somebody, can you be my mentor? Or if you're in a situation, be a mentor to somebody. Go to local meetups that talk about money. You know, we like to encourage folks to get together in groups. In the Queer Money Facebook group, we encourage about people to do this. So talk about money, but there's also places you can do this. At LGBT centers, the Capital One cafes offer space for nonprofits and local groups to meet up. There are people there that would be happy more than happy to help you talk about money more as a community. And finally, in this idea of money and talking about money, if you haven't thought about it, go through Capital One's money coaching program. It's a simple program, easy to use, that gets you started on some money topics to help you improve your life. Number three of solutions here is to not forgo retirement savings. So many of us, for any number of reasons, are foregoing saving for retirement. And a comfortable and safe retirement comes from planning and saving. It's it's strategic. It doesn't just happen overnight. For many of us, most of us, it doesn't happen by accident. It isn't a surprise. For some of us, it's a surprise. They're the ones that get the headlines, but for most of us, it's not. So be very strategic and intentional about saving for retirement. Learn how to invest for retirement, even if you're in your 50s or 60s. All hope isn't lost. There are opportunities available to you. Our final point here is let's do it for ourselves as a community, like Annie and uh, Aretha Singh. Sisters got to do it for themselves, right? Let's start creating legacy wealth within the LGBT community. Now, how do you do this? Well, there's kind of two simple ways. There's more, but let's just talk about these two simple ways. First of all, set up your estate plan to donate to LGBTQ causes that help homeless youth. We got to start at where a lot of this financial struggle starts, and that's with queer youth who are kicked out of their homes or escaping homes, we got to help make sure that these kids get stable lives early on. That help will help them in their future financial life. And then finally, if you're a business owner, create a succession plan to keep the business in the LGBT community when it comes to selling your business or when you're ready to retire. Keep that money flowing within our community. Don't just sell it off. Think about where and how you're going to sell it so that you can help the community. So there are seven basic reasons or examples of legacy financial exclusion that folks in the LGBTQ community experience, as well as four solutions that we all can use or be a part of to help the community improve. Remember, we're here to help build a financially strong LGBTQ community because the stronger we are as a community, the stronger we are when it comes to fighting for our rights. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Join our movement to build a community of happier, healthier, and wealthier gay men by getting your free copy of the five building blocks of a happy gay life at debtfreeguys.com 
forward slash happy. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Here is your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. Help stop the damaging effect of legacy financial exclusion, not only in your own life, but in the lives of queer youth. Small changes through learning and talking about money to big changes, such as saving for a retirement and creating wealth within the community will help us thrive as a community. And who doesn't want to see our LGBTQ community thrive? We make the Queer Money podcast for you. So if you've got money questions, post them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer your question in an upcoming episode. Thank you. And may you have a week full of abundance and pride. If you or someone you know is in or near Denver on Thursday, June 13th, go to QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour to reserve a spot to win amazing swag, including our very popular bride sunglasses, free coffee, and of course, an hour of Queer Money Bingo hosted by yours truly. That's QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour.